There's a little insert in your uh, Sunday news. Uh, a little sermon outline might be helpful to you uh, as, we, as we move on in the book of Ephesians. I was fascinated with a true story that emerged uh, not that long ago from a set of uh, story of twin brothers out of Australia. And they were, as they were growing up, they were very close to one another, but they went through a very chaotic uh, childhood. After their dad abandoned them, uh, a week after the 22nd birthday of the twins, Carl disappeared. And for 23 years, Leslie kept searching for his brother. Finally, on May the 5th, uh, 2013, just a few years ago, the police found Carl dead uh, on York Lane in Sydney. And uh, Carl had died where he spent most of uh, the second half of his life on the street as a homeless person. So when the police contacted Leslie, he traveled to Sydney to take his brother back home to bury him. And much to his surprise, Leslie found a bank account in Carl's name that was worth $30,000. The Australian Department of Human Services had been depositing a check into Carl's account every month for the last 23 years. So Leslie wanted to use the funds to support the dedicated people and shelters which uh, had supported his brother. And so he decided he'd use the entire balance of $30,000. So he organized a lavish service for Carl. And before the funeral, he hosted a delicious hot lunch with a bouquet of flowers on every table. And all the men and women from those shelters that Carl had frequented had, were invited to come. And for the funeral, Leslie hired the finest organist in Sydney to play hymns. And he let people know that this organist was going to be there. And he designed and printed a beautiful order of service. He used the finest of paper and flowers filled the church. During the eulogy for his brother, Leslie said, I never gave up looking for my brother. I never gave up looking for my brother. And I was struck by those words from the, his eulogy. I never gave up looking for my brother. Because this is the story of Ephesians chapter 1. God's eulogy for us. His reminder to us that he's always been looking for us. That we've always been on his heart before the foundation of the world. Now, we're given some awesome reminders of his love for us. Uh, even when we left home and we ran away and we got ourselves into all kinds of messes, he kept searching for us and reminding us of how wonderful home is, wonderful uh, who he's made us to be, our identity in his son, Jesus Christ, and, and that home is the place where the blessings of God reside. And so there are ten incredible blessings from God in Ephesians chapter 1. And the word used here for blessing is eulogy, of all words. God, God gives us a wonderful eulogy uh, to those who place their faith in His Son. And so these are statements of praise. Uh, we were only able to touch on three of them last Sunday. Uh, and, and did I mention that in the Greek, verses 3 to 14 is just one long sentence. One sentence. Uh, in the Greek. And so, so you kind of run out of breath even, even reading it before you get to the period. Try writing a sentence 200 words long. I mean, it's almost 
impossible for us to write it and make sense out of, out of something that we would write that's 200 words in length, one sentence. But what a sentence it is. And look at all the blessings, the eulogy of God for us. He speaks these amazing statements to us, and he reminds us of our identity through these blessings. First of all, the blessing of just being in Christ. Verse 3, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. And verse 2, the blessing of being chosen. Verse 4, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. And then the blessing of predestination and adoption. Verse 5, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Now this morning, fourthly, the blessing of being redeemed. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. The blessing of being redeemed. The word redeemed takes us immediately to the practice of slavery. There were probably 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And because they were slaves, they were bought or sold like pieces of furniture. The word redeem means to purchase and set free by paying a price. That's what's implied, to purchase and then set free. So in the Roman world, it was very possible to purchase a slave and then set him or her free. It happened. A slave was purchased by paying a certain price. It was called a ransom. And when the ransom was paid, the slave could be set free. That's the image that Paul is painting for us. We were all slaves. We were all captive to sin. We were slaves to selfishness and slaves to bondage. And we were in our own prisons of sin. And then Christ came into our slave market and he paid a ransom so we could be set free. What was the ransom that he paid? He paid with his life. He paid with his blood. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Listen to the similar words from, uh, from Peter, 1 Peter 1.18. It's like Peter and Paul are sitting down and having a conversation because I'm astounded at how close his words are. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which loses their value. It was the precious blood of Christ the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but now in the last days, he has been revealed for your sake. He has been revealed for your sake. I know, have you ever heard the story of the, of the little boy who lived by a great lake, and uh, the little boy loved the water, so he and his dad uh, actually made a little toy sailboat, and they spent months and months working on this little beautiful model boat, and when it was all finished, they took it down to the water's edge. And uh, the little boy took just great delight in uh, sailing his, his boat along the shore. And then one day, <clears throat> a, a sudden gust of wind caught this tiny boat and took it out into the lake 
and out of sight. And the little boy went home very distraught, and day after day he walked the shores in search of his boat, his little treasure, but he could never find it. Then one day, as he was walking through town, he saw his beautiful boat in a store window. And he approached the owner of the store and told the man that he actually was the owner of that boat. But the business owner said that he had paid a local Finnish fisherman good money for the, boy, for the boat. And if the boy wanted the boat, he would have to pay the price. And so the little boy determined that he would buy the boat. But first of all, he had to earn the money. One nickel at a time, one dime at a time, one quarter at a time. And finally, when he had all the, his money gathered together and he returned to the store with the money, he, he bought his boat back. And when he had the little boat in his arms, he said with great joy, you are twice mine because I made you and because I bought you. Because I made you and because I bought you. And that's our story, that God made us. And through Jesus Christ, his son, he bought us back. He ransomed us. He paid the price so that we could be free. And he paid the price with his blood. I know there, there are some who would say, don't use the word blood. Because it just makes our Christian faith feel so crude. It's messy. It doesn't speak well of our, of our faith. It, it characterizes the Christian faith as a bit of a slaughterhouse religion. But you know what? Blood is mentioned all throughout the scriptures. I mean, you can take it out of our songs, out of our hymns, and you can revise the scriptures or reword it so you don't have the word blood. But I would just say, don't be too quick to do that. Because the truth is, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Hebrews 9.22. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There is no forgiveness. Blood is the greatest detergent that God uses to cleanse our hearts. It's his eternal detergent. The blood cleanses and purifies. The blessing of being redeemed brought back with with the precious blood of Jesus himself. Now, take a moment just to write down this reference if you're taking notes. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12, because I don't have time to go there this morning. But it's just such a great passage. It's a, it's a beautiful description of how the prophets puzzled over what the Spirit was saying to them about salvation. And the angels, if you remember the scripture, longed to look and observe what was taking place in Christ's suffering and death. The great price that Jesus was, was paying. And for the, for the prophets, it was a mystery. For the angels, they didn't know. It was a mystery to them. But it's not a mystery to us. One day in eternity, we will all join together in the greatest of all songs, and we will sing with the angels. 
Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. We'll sing it all together as redeemed people. So thanks be to God for the Lord Jesus Christ and his blood that was poured out for the ransom of our lives. So the blessing of being in Christ, the blessing of being chosen, the blessing of being predestined and adopted into God's family, the blessing of being redeemed, uh, and then fifth, the blessing of forgiveness. That's another of the blessings. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He forgave our sins. I appreciated the story of author and teacher Rebecca Pippert, who uh, had the opportunity to audit some graduate-level courses at Harvard University, one of which was called Systems of Counseling. At one point, the professor presented a case study in which therapeutic methods were used to help a man uncover a deep hostility he had towards his mother. And when they used this scientific psychology approach, it helped the client understand himself in new ways. But Pippert, who was in the class, asked the prof how he would have responded if the man had asked for help to forgive her. The professor responded that forgiveness was a concept uh, that assumed moral responsibilities and many other things that scientific psychology could not speak to. Don't force your values about forgiveness onto the patient, he argued. When some of the students kind of said, really? The professor tried to relieve the tension in the room with some humor. He said, if you guys are looking for a changed heart, I think you're looking in the wrong department. You should go over to that department. However, as Pippert observes, the truth is we are looking for a changed heart. That's what we're looking for. That's what we need. We're looking for forgiveness, and when we experience the forgiveness of God, there's absolutely nothing like it. I always will remember my first experience of coming to know Christ personally. It was marked by what I would describe as a sense of floating or the removal of a burden that just rolled away. But now I understand it was the amazing sense of being forgiven. While all of our experiences are unique, it's awesome to know God's forgiveness. That's what we're all looking for, the forgiveness of God to set us free. Chuck Colson, he tells the wonderful story of watching Albert Speer being interviewed on Good Morning America. He was one of Hitler's right-hand guys. And after the Nuremberg trials, he went to prison for 22 years for all that he had done uh, and all of the atrocities that took place at his orders. And he was remorseful for his actions and, and all the deaths that he was responsible for. But he wrote these words, guilt can never be forgiven or shouldn't be. He could never find forgiveness for his actions. So he served his 22 years in prison, but he said, I can't get rid of the guilt. I don't think I will ever get rid of the guilt. 
And Coulson said, after listening to that interview, I wanted to write Spear and tell him about Jesus and his death on the cross, about God's forgiveness. But there wasn't time. He, he died shortly thereafter. You know, the scriptures just sing in glorious harmony about the fullness of, of God's forgiveness. Jay shared it this morning as she read the text from here. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And here's one we all need. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a song. Can you sing it in your mind? My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but in whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Why would God do that for us? Why would Jesus reach into the world and choose someone like me, someone like you, and put us in a, in a, in a right forever relationship with himself? Why? Oh, verse 7. He is so rich in kindness and grace. Verse 8. He has showered his kindness on us. I love the story of uh, John Ortberg. He's a pastor now on the West Coast. Just can't call it right now. Uh, he, he wrote a book years ago, one of my favorites, called The Life You've Always Wanted. And I have read that book and read that book and gone back and read chunks of that book over and over again. He writes, The man at the furniture store warned us not to get it when he found out we had small children. You don't want a mauve sofa, he advised. Get something the color of dirt. But we had the naive optimism of young parenthood. We know how to handle our children. We said, give us the mauve sofa. From that moment on, we all knew clearly the number one rule in the house, don't sit on the mauve sofa. Don't touch the mauve sofa. Don't eat on it. Don't breathe on it. Don't look at it. Don't even think about the mauve sofa. Remember the forbidden tree in the Garden of Eden? On every other chair in the house you may freely sit, but upon this sofa, this mauve sofa, you may not sit, for in the day you sit on it, you shall surely die. Then came the fall. One day there appeared on the mauve sofa a stain, a red stain, a red jelly stain. So my wife, who had chosen the mauve sofa and adored it, lined up our three children in front of it. Laura, age four, Mallory, two and a half, and Johnny, six months. Do you see that, children? She asked. That's a stain. A red stain. A red jelly stain. And then the man at the store says, it's not coming out. Not forever. Do you know how long forever is, children? That's how long we're going to stand here until one of you tells me who put the stain on the mauve sofa. Mallory was the first to break. She said, Laura did it. Laura passionately denied it. Then there was silence for the longest time. No one said a word. 
I knew the children wouldn't, for they had never seen their mother so upset. I knew they wouldn't because they knew if they did, they would spend forever on the timeout chair. I knew they wouldn't because uh, I was the one who put the red jelly stain on the mauve sofa, and I knew I wasn't saying anything. Well, the truth is we've all stained the sofa. Some of the stains are just small, hardly noticeable, but some of them bleed through the entire fabric of our lives. They're the things we regret. And we wish we could go back and get things right this time. Look what Paul writes. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. That's how God eulogizes us. That's the blessing he speaks over, over us. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Whatever the past, whatever you, you have done, the past, you, you are forgiven. You have a new start. Friends, you have a new start today. If, if you're here this morning and you just wish you could start over again, just kind of clear it off, brush it all off, clean off the, that board, whiteboard and just start over again. You could do that. Today you have a new start. You can ask Jesus to forgive you, give you a new start in life, a new start in your journey. That's what it's all about. That's what he wants to do because he loves you that much. And, and your biggest challenge is that he couldn't love me. Really, he couldn't love me. But he does. But he does. Today you have a new start. Allow pride and stubbornness and bitterness to be swallowed up. And in humility, say to Jesus Christ, forgive me. Forgive me. His kindness and his grace are amazing. He will give you the blessing of his forgiveness. So the blessing of being in Christ, the blessing of being chosen, the, the blessing of being predestined, the blessing of being redeemed, and the blessing of forgiveness. And then the blessing of his grace lavished on us. The blessing of his grace lavished on us. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Isn't that a great word, lavished? I don't really use that word very much, but I like it. It's so expressive. It's not stingy. It's abundant, lavished, lavished. Marg makes a certain icing for a cake she bakes. I should have asked her about this, but it's an angel food cake. And then she makes this real fluffy icing, and she not only ices the cake, but she puts the extra icing in a big bowl, and she puts it on the bowl on the table, and we all have a tablespoon. And we just add the extra icing. I mean, it's all calorie-free extra icing. We just all add that. We have a tablespoon, and we just, we just pour it onto our, our little piece of angel food cake. We go crazy on that icing because it's so good. Lavished. It's not a little drizzle like it's gobs of tablespoons of icing lavished. Did you watch the Super Bowl last Sunday? 
Were you watching for that moment when the Gatorade would come over the coach of the Eagles? And sure enough, as you watched for it, there it was. Uh, this sticky, sticky Gatorade, but he's honored to have it on him because you know what that means. Everybody else in the locker room is just having a good time, but he's got all this sticky stuff all over him because it was lavished on him. But think of us. We have been bogged down in the muck of life. We've done our own thing, and in spite of that, God has lavished his grace on us, his unmerited favor. He just pours it out. Not just a little bit, but this whole big container. He pours it on us to say, you don't have to earn it. I'm just delighted to pour my grace upon you. Grace means unmerited favor or getting something that you don't deserve. So through Jesus Christ, we've been redeemed and forgiven. And now we're in a position to receive his grace. Redeemed, forgiven, and now we're in a position to receive his grace. And he gives grace abundantly. Do you know his grace? Are you having a hard time forgiving yourself? In Christ, you are forgiven. And in Christ, grace has been lavished upon you. Finally, this morning, the blessing of knowing the mystery of God's will. Verses 9 and 10. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. <clears throat> now, this one is a little slower to impact your heart. And then suddenly, I mean, if you're like me, suddenly you are mesmerized by the significance of the statement. So stay with me. The mystery of his will. Don't interpret mystery as eerie. It means a sacred secret once hidden but now revealed to God's people. It should be on, on the screen there, Lucas. It means a sacred secret once hidden but now revealed to God's people. If you're a follower of Christ, you have the inside scoop on the future. We know things today that were unknown in centuries past. We didn't know, we know things that Abraham didn't know. We know things today that David didn't know. We know things that Isaiah didn't know. We know the secret secret, the sacred secret, that God will one day unite everything in Christ. Because of sin, everything has been falling apart. So God has a plan. It's his mystery. It's his sacred secret that is now revealed. And that the falling apart will one day be transformed from falling apart to coming together. There's going to be a reversal. The plan is that there's going to be a change from falling apart to coming together. And one day God will gather everything together. And it will bring him great joy and great pleasure. It's what he wants to do and it will be accomplished and it will come under the authority of his son Jesus Christ because God gives his son all of the authority. Friends, this, God is in the midst of ushering in his plan for the ages. 
And you know what keeps me encouraged in the world is the plan of God. I mean, I don't know. I mean, don't you look at the world and say, how in the world does this ever come together? None of us know. There are, there are wars and rumors of wars. We know there is conflict around the world. What is all this these days about North and South Korea coming together? Is, is that real or is that not real? We know that there is conflict. We know after all of these years, racial tension should be lessening in our world. But because of sin, the tension seems to increase. We could get terribly discouraged Human life is not sacred today in many parts of the world. The bombing this week in North Africa, uh, North North Syria, and again, uh, hundreds and hundreds of people killed, hospitals bombed. The sacredness of life, whether the person is born or unborn, the, the little baby in the womb is God's precious little gift at one month or two months or six months, This is a little baby. And our hearts are sad when life is not valued. But one day, in the fullness of time, God will unite all things in Him. Things in heaven and things on earth. And the things that have been falling apart will start to come together. And as followers of Christ, we know it's true. We do not share the pessimism and despair of the world like that of G.N. Clark in his inaugural lecture at Cambridge when he said, there's no secret and no plan in history to be discovered. I do not believe that any future consummation could make any sense of the irrationality of preceding ages. What's he saying? There's no plan that makes any sense in this world. History's not going anywhere. It's all meaningless stuff. I'd be most discouraged if I believed that. History is going somewhere. One day the plan of the ages will be consummated. What will it look like? Well, for one thing, and we're going to discover this later in chapter 3, the division between Jews and Gentiles is going to be completely, has been completely eliminated. There is no line of demarcation between male or female or Jew or Gentile. We are one in Christ. I mean, that's not hard and revolutionary for us, but that blew the socks off of Paul when he realized that God had called him to champion the the gospel to the Gentiles. What? The Gentiles? Unheard of. But no longer because we are all in Christ. And that's why Christ came. Everyone is level at the foot of the cross. So look at this verse. He will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. Even this earth, the earth itself will come under the authority of Christ. It will change. Remember what Paul says in Romans eight nineteen to 21. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. The the. Creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Oh, and don't you love this next verse? And we believers also groan. 
even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us the full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he's promised us. Oh, wow. What a blessing. The blessing of knowing the mystery of God's will. Eulogy. God's great statements about, his, about us, his blessings upon us, it all comes from God. It all, he initiates all of this. It's his message that we are chosen and loved and forgiven and part of his great eternal plan. The blessing of being in Christ, the blessing of being chosen, the blessing of being predestined, the blessing of being redeemed, the blessing of forgiveness, the blessing of his grace lavished on us, and the blessing of the mystery of God's will. Amen. Let's stand together.